The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Yes, you are. This is HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. Today's buzz, it's a number, 2020. Think about it and let's get started. The workplace of the future is already being shaped by breakthrough technologies as well as the millennial generation. You've heard so much about them here on the show. This is all conspiring to pressure employers to rethink their talent management approaches and how are they grooming leadership. So, big question for all of you listening here on the Business Channel. Does your company have a plan yet for this brave new world? I have assembled a panel of thought leaders, experts in their own fields, to come together today and share their knowledge and expertise and energy on this topic. You are going to learn a lot, so don't go anywhere for the next hour. First up on the panel is Ravan Jaisuthasan. Global Practice Leader of the Talent Management Practice for Towers Watson. And Ravin sent me the following quote. The future of work will place different requirements on the next generation of leaders. New skills, agility, ability to balance competing objectives like never before, and a greatly heightened tolerance for ambiguity and risk. That's a mouthful. Welcome, Ravin. How are you today? Good, Bonnie. How are you? Very well. Talk to me about this quote. we got a lot of information packed in here, so why don't you get us started? Indeed. Um, so if you look at some of the macroeconomic trends we've gone through, I think the increase in volatility as we look at volatility across our capital markets, our product markets, and our labor markets, coupled with uh, some emerging research on uh, some new friction points as it relates to the availability of talent in some of our core um, job skill areas with emerging technologies and the like, I think there are going to be some amazing requirements placed on leaders to not just be able to balance some of these competing priorities, but to also have a much greater tolerance for ambiguity, being able to calibrate to multiple scenarios that are going to call for some very different skill sets going forward. Ravin, a question for you. I mentioned in my intro that the millennial generation is part of this, but should we make the assumption that the leadership is all going to come from the millennials? Is it still coming from the Gen Yers and even middle-aged people? Is there, are there still opportunities for leadership in, shall we say, the mid-generation, mid-age generation? What do you think? Oh, I think definitely so. If you look at how retirement patterns have, uh, have changed over the last um, sort of five to ten years, I think we're going to see much, continue to see much greater diversity in the workforce as it relates to generations. And uh, just as we'll see more leaders from the uh, millennials, I think you will see many of us uh, older folks, shall we say, hanging around. 
<laughs> You're talking to one of them. We're not going anywhere, I'll tell you that. Thank you, Raven, for getting us started. Next up on the panel is David Learmond, L-E-A-R-M-O-N-D. He's a senior advisor and senior fellow in human capital at the conference board, and he sent me the following quote. Business needs a leadership correction. This is the key message from over 100 companies the conference board surveyed in Asia, Europe, and North America. And this comes from Go Where There Be Dragons, Leadership Essentials for Magic Number 2020. David Learman, welcome. How are you today? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thank you for inviting me to join the panel. We are delighted to have you. So talk to me. Go Where There Be Dragons. Just quickly, what is this, what is this title of? And then what is this leadership correction you're talking about? Yeah, well, this was a, what we call a council perspective. So at the conference board, we have many uh, business councils. These are private meetings of uh, senior executives of large companies. And when we were uh, really going through uh, the tough times of the uh, financial downturn uh, and the global recession, we talked to people about what this meant for leadership. And basically, this is what they came back with, was that companies need to make a leadership correction. Uh, the landscape has changed. Things will not be the same as they were before. Uh, there are some big changes, and uh, our previous speaker, Ravan, mentioned you know, a few of them, which I would absolutely agree with. We went a bit further. We talked about four key drivers, uh, the digital revolution, the growth of emerging markets like China, India, and uh, others, the whole question of um, CSR and sustainability and what that now means for business, and indeed the global financial crisis itself. So that just added to all the other things that leaders had to deal with, uh, which makes it a very tough time uh, in 2020 and now to be a leader in, in uh, complex organizations. Indeed. A lot going on, a lot for us to talk about. Thank you for adding to our topic, David. Now let's turn to Nikki Ernst. He's calling from Austria today. By the way, David is in Ireland. We have a very much of a global panel. And Nikki Ernst is a TEDx ambassador. I think you're the first TEDx person we've had on the show. And Nikki sent me the following quote from Eckhart Tolle. I believe that's the right pronunciation. It's, if you want to achieve something big, Focus on little things with great passion. Very inspirational. Nikki, welcome. How are you? I'm great. Thanks to be invited to the show. Um, being um, a TED Talk fan for eight years now, I'm just following great, great talks and people or, or speakers are giving great talks on other channels. So I stumbled over a conversation between Sir Ken Robinson and Eckhart Tolle talking about leadership and education and big achievements. And Eckhart Tolle made this, made this statement um, as they were talking about that people try to, to achieve big things all the time and they're overwhelmed with the task and they feel like they're never going to make it and never going to be able to, to achieve things if they just see the big picture. And Eckhart Tolle, in his, in his way of putting, putting great meaning in, into easy language, just said, you know, you have to make it small. You have to focus on that many little things that, that sounds and seems to be achievable. And if you do that with great passion, which is also one of the topics of Ken Robinson talking about passion, um, you will be able to achieve big things. But if you just target on achieving big things, you will just remain overwhelmed with the task. Good points, Nikki. How do you relate this to grooming leadership for the future? Do you, you advise, would you advise young leaders or leaders at any generation, I was just mentioning that to uh, Raven a minute ago, to focus on the steps, the one bite at a time, as we used to say? I think uh, David probably remembers that. The one bite at a time to get where you're going and do it well with passion and energy. What, what's your perspective on leadership? 
Well, I, I hope I got the question right. For me, this is kind of two questions. Like um, you also mm-hmm. asked Raven before, um, and I, I would like to add on this because I like the question, and it's also about that people are getting older, and we just can't just let the young guys in and forget about the old guys. And I think that's one of the skills that we also have to add on leadership is connecting the, the well-known and the old and the experienced with the hungry and the new and the young. And I see very exciting ways of, of connecting leadership experiences here. So I, I don't think that, that we have to um, decide between generations. We, we see roles here, and, and if we can work with different roles in, in, in different ages, I think that would be a very exciting scenario. Thank you, Nikki. Great point. Yeah, we'll cover the rest later on in the conversation. Thank you. Very much appreciated. Carrie Williard is with us. She is a VP of Learning and Social Adoption in the SAP Cloud, and she sent me the following quote, and it's packed with statistics. So anybody out there you want to take notes, this is worth listening to. Millennials, says Carrie, will make up half the workplace in a few years, largely due to the unprecedented exit of baby boomers. I'm going home room from the background, Carrie. And she says, in the U.S., 10,000 people a day turn 65. Mm-hmm. Few workplaces have planned well for this exit and for what it will take to lead the next generation of employees. This is also packed with a lot of meat on the bones. Carrie Williard, welcome. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for joining us. So talk to me. Interesting statistics. Really, are the baby boomers exiting en masse, as we say, the French term, or are they, some of us are not quite ready to go away, Carrie. What do you observe? Well, you know, the other day I had a conversation with, I I work in the Silicon Valley, and I was talking to head of HR there, and he said, you know, interesting that you should talk about that, because I'm having to have a conversation this afternoon with a woman who we just are not able to accommodate in the workplace anymore. And she's been with us 44 years, so it's going to be heartbreaking. Oh, by the way, she came to us after she retired from a government job when she retired at 55. She's 99 in the workplace. (laughs) So I think it's not going to be, you know, one or two generations in the workplace. I think it's possible that we'll have five generations in the workplace. And I'll be working not only with my daughter, but a granddaughter and maybe even a great-granddaughter in the case of of that. So longevity is playing into this as well. But in the middle of the curve, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're we're losing people en masse. Yeah. And, and who are we losing? What, what is it uh, the fact that people want to retire? Do they want a different career? Are they intrigued by the opportunities for travel? And do they have more disposable wealth? Why are they exiting the yeah. workforce? And well, it, what do you it, it's, you know, unfortunately, in many parts of the world, it's kind of the haves and the have-nots. So there are people who have been in labor jobs who need to exit because their bodies are just not going to be able to sustain a heavy labor job. But if we're talking about the the you know the professional in the workplace the, the you know more likely the people who are listening to to SAP radio um it it is that they are considering alternative forms of working or in in the case of baby boomers going back and living to their values from when they were young and donating time into nonprofit organizations doing a little bit of travel and so on um but there's certainly a segment that's deciding to just stay in the workplace 
Yes, we are. <laughs> I had, I actually had a, a guest on, I think it was HR Trends a couple of weeks ago, Carrie, who mentioned something like, yeah, those baby boomers just need to go away. And I was just making noises in the background saying, don't you dare. Don't you dare. <laughs> Some of us have, we found our niche. We found our stride. We are enjoying the fruits of many years of labor and perhaps many different careers. I'm speaking personally, many different careers meld and hobbies and passions and, and and great workplaces, and I work for SAP as you do, give us that opportunity to come into our own, so to speak. So, uh, yeah. I, I agree, Bonnie. I agree with that. I think it's not so much retiring. It's rewiring, isn't it? it it's changing I the paradigm it. of work and, mm-hmm. and what it means and, and so on. And that's how I love you know, it. we'll get the, the benefit of, of all that great experience. And I also agree with the point that was made um, about many different generations in the workforce. And I see that as a very positive thing. And it I is. think it's and an it's... achievement of our society, right, that you don't have to, mm-hmm. or you can decide if you want to be old if you're 70, but you don't have to be. <laughs> well, you know, I love it. It's, it's surprising what, what kinds of preferences people have. We, we ran a global survey because I wrote this book, The 2020 Workplace, and we ran a global survey of working professionals. And as it turns out, the older you are, the more work flexibility you want which actually makes a lot of sense. So in, in, in the desire for work flexibility, it's not just a millennial um, mm-hmm. issue. It is, uh, you know, I'd like to work intermittently. You know, could I work for three months and then take a little sabbatical and come back? Or can I work part-time? Uh, those are things that people want to do at the end of their careers as well. Very interesting. And, Carrie, you mentioned something that was new to me. We, we talk very often on these shows about that fact that there are now an unprecedented four generations in the workforce side by side. You mentioned five, and you're probably very right because move over. Even the millennials are going to get a little bit older mm-hmm. soon, and there will be, as you say, grandchildren coming in. Uh, I won't tell you how old my grandchildren are, but, yeah, not that far off from college, and that means workforce coming after that. I, I hope they'll be able to earn a meaningful living. So guess what? My panel is wonderful today. We haven't even started the roundtable formally, and we've already started the roundtable. I love it. My favorite kind of panel. So guess what? I'm going to give you all a little bit of a respite. No, we're not taking a break yet. I'm going to ask the four of you, what's in your cup today, or what do you wish you were drinking? Let's start with Raven Jesu Thassen. I am working hard on your <laughs> pronunciation, my friend. Raven, what are you drinking, or what do you wish you were drinking right this minute? So, uh, so I must confess, Sani, my, my sort of uh, hidden or secret pleasure is flavored water because it feels like you're mm. cheating a little bit, uh, <laughs> although not really. Um, but I certainly wish it was uh, later in the evening and I had a lovely gra- glass of uh, Malbec with me here. But uh, Oh, not, not do you have a favorite, favorite Malbec? Um, you know, I, I love all sorts. Okay. So I'm uh... trying a new one. I, I'll try to find the picture of the label I took of a Malbec I had about two years ago in a restaurant, and I always went ahead for the liquor store, which is very seldom. I always look for that Malbec. It's delightful. It could be served chilled or warm at room temperature, by the way, which I think is unusual. It tastes just as good cold. So much about Bonnie's non-wine habit. And now let's turn to David Learman. David, what are you drinking, and what time of day is it in Ireland today right now? Well, actually, I'm in Edinburgh in Scotland today, Okay, uh, Bonnie. Sorry. And it's, uh, well, it's five, five o'clock in the evening or a bit after. Uh, so I have to go with a, with a nice malt whiskey, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, okay. Is, you have a brand. You're allowed to drop names. And is it, uh, is it aged? And I don't know much about it, but how good is it? 
Uh, well, it's pretty good. It's the uh, the water of life. So I wouldn't say it was flavored water, but uh, you know, there's an element of that. So I don't know if Robin would would uh, would go with that. But uh, Dalmore is a very nice whiskey. But there's many, many uh, whiskies, and if people enjoy this, then I hope they will uh, think about repatriating some Scotch to uh, Scotland. Thank you. I apologize for saying Ireland. I knew you were in Scotland. Thank you, David. Lovely to have you on with us. Nikki Ernst, you're in Austria. What are you drinking right now, or what do you wish was in your cup, Nikki? I do have a very strong breakfast tradition, so I like meeting people for breakfast and having Coke and coffee. Um, well, I believe that coffee is a disgusting drink to have, but it's a very social drink, so I enjoy having <laughs> coffee with other people, and I drink it with Coke. And the tough thing is that I've, two years ago I've decided to not to eat and drink any sweet stuff during the week, so I'd love to have coffee and Coke right now, but I unfortunately have to wait until Saturday this week. It's, <laughs> it's just Tuesday where we are. So you pour the Coca-Cola into the coffee? Is that no, what you no, do? No, you no, do no, a, not, a chaser? Not no, I know that people say Austrians have a weird taste, but that's not what we do. <laughs> so I drink the Coke and I drink the coffee separately. And well, there is, that's... Um, <laughs> a restaurant of my first choice, and they call it the menu. So when I enter the restaurant and I, they, they see me coming in, they say, Nikki, we want to have the menu again, so... Oh, that's very charming. That's Thank you. I, I feel relieved and my taste buds are recovering now from imagination. Carrie Williard, what are you drinking? Well, I happen to be in Florida where it's hot and humid, so mm-hmm. it's uh, iced peach snapple. But if it were later in the day, even though I don't normally drink this, I think a daiquiri would be very appropriate. <laughs> Does it have a flavor? Are we talking peach or some other kind of daiquiri or just a yeah, good old-fashioned? No, just a good old plain daiquiri. Okay, we've certainly got a lively panel here. Guess what? Now you have earned the break. I'm going to go to break in just a second, but first I have to tell everyone we're speaking with Ravin J. Suthasen at uh, Towers Watson. We're speaking with David Learmond all the way from Scotland. He is with the conference board. Nikki Ernst is calling in from Austria. He's a TEDx ambassador. And Carrie Williard at SAP, VP of Learning and Social Adoption in the SAP Cloud, is calling from Florida. And I'm here in New York. We're certainly a well-rounded panel. Guess what? Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We have a lot more of a very, very compelling and lively conversation. Today's topic is the 2020 leader leading in the, I'll insert the word, brave new world. We'll be right back. Brad, out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network with companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today hr tactics must be comprehensive and precise today's reality your hr department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce diversity and inclusion policies work-life integration challenges and more the bottom line you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals optimize your employee engagement and become an industry-leading employer of choice hr trends with game changers is presented by sap visit www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying hr trends with game changers presented by sap 
Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Welcome back. Very compelling and important topic today. The 2020 leader leading in the new world. My panel is Ravin Jethu Thassen from Towers Watson. I'll get it. David Learman at the conference board. Nikki Ernst, a TEDx ambassador, and Carrie Williard at SAP. Let's kick off our marathon roundtable. Seatbelts on, panelists. This is going to be straight through for about 25 minutes. We're going to start with Ravin, and I'm going to read one of your notes you sent me before the show, and then let's kick it off. You say by 2021, which is one year past the date we've used to to pinpoint the show by 2021 a new map of talent surplus and shortage will appear creating friction points for global organizations as the countries facing the most critical talent shortages today will swing to a surplus while those with an excess of talent experience will face significant shortages of the most critical talent is this the pendulum swinging in a major way with destruction or is there hope here Ravin start us off please Sure, Bonnie. Um, So this piece of research is something that we did with Oxford Economics um, about a year and a half ago, and we looked at 48 different countries and looked at the changing supply and demand for for talent um, across different job uh, architectures, so whether it's professionals, executives, uh, unskilled or skilled labor. And it was fascinating to see how some of the pain points that many global organizations face today, for example, India, uh, just to pick on one, where we often mm-hmm. find wage premiums sort of escalating by 10 or 15 or 20 percent, depending on the type of job. As their education uh, uh, systems, as the quantity of talent entering the workforce, um, as their demographics evolve, will actually swing to a surplus of talent. Um, while in the U.S., as well as in many of our mature and developed markets in, in Western Europe, we, uh, we expect to start swinging to a significant shortage, specifically with the types of skills that we're demanding. Um, some of the things that David talked about, uh, digital skills, the ability to sort of operate in, in large global enterprises, uh, agility, some of those skills. So uh, a significant change from the reality we're exper- experiencing today as more of our high schoolers and, and, and kids in grade school start coming into the, uh, into the economy. Very good points. David Learman of the Conference Board, do you observe the same trend as Robin? Yeah, very very much so. Um, we're, we're also doing some research into these kind of um, areas, and we do a couple of things in the U.S. called um, Help Wanted Online and so on, where we kind of monitor the vacancies and so on. Um, so what we're seeing is um, uh, deficits and pain points, um, as Robin was saying, around healthcare professionals and so on. In Europe, we're seeing um, deficits in um, uh, long-distance lorry drivers, for example. We're going to run out of them, you know. Uh, Uh, And, of course, in emerging markets, we're seeing, uh, as Robin was explaining, um, we're we're seeing some some managerial kind of um, deficits there. And when you talk to the folks out in Asia-Pacific and so on, um, you know, one of the, the, the key bottlenecks for developing and growing businesses is the lack of um, of really good talent. Um, and that's in spite of the fact that, the, say, if you take China, that the number of graduates has risen exponentially um, in, in the last 10 years. Hmm. So it is really a, a, a pendulum swing. It was a very nice way of you putting it, Bonnie. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. Nikki Ernst, what are you observing? You're a man of the world. You're participating in TED. You're an ambassador. First, just give me one line. What does a TEDx ambassador do? And then your observations on, on what we're discussing. The TEDx ambassador is, in fact, um, somewhere in between TED and TEDx organizers, and we just help them, coach them, um, support them, mentor them. And if there are critical questions, we help them how to rephrase them that that, that they would go into right directions towards TED and backwards, and then we do regional meetings. I just returned from Barcelona the other day, and we spent four days with 150 TEDx organizers from all over Europe and had workshops with them, and that's what I do as a TEDx ambassador, so I kind of help these organizers put this together. You know, there are eight TEDx events every day somewhere in the world. So wow. questions about quality and support, they raise, and the TED team at headquarters that supports the TEDx organizers, it's about 20 people for 2,000 organizers worldwide. So um, they kind of implemented a layer of ambassadors to help in both directions. Very interesting. And You're the first TEDx person we've had. So what's your observation about the, the swing of talent and, and the, the surplus and the deficit of talent opportunity? Do you see this in your work through TEDx, Nikki, at all? Well, maybe not in the works of TEDx, but in the other things that I do and observe. And I think that mm -hmm. it's quite interesting that um, after a generation of meritocracy where, where people own success and all failure and worked hard and thought with work hard they can reach far, um, there, is, there is a new generation where I have the feeling that they're just not, not ready and prepared, not wanting to really work hard. So they kind of start with, very fashionate startup community and have their ideas and love their ideas. And, and when it comes to um, tough work, I really have the feeling that they, they kind of run away because that's what, what they're looking after. They're looking for glamour and all the shiny stuff, but not really of what, it, what you have to reach for to get that. And I see this as a bit of a counter-reaction as being children of this very meritocratic generation that my parents have been, for example. Interesting. Thank you for the observation, Nikki. Carrie Williard, what do you see? Uh, you don't have to comment specifically on anything anybody else said, but the thought of, of this pendulum swinging. You're, you're in uh, leadership, and you see this from the vantage point of your role at SAP. What do you observe in terms of this deficit, this surplus? Is it dramatic? Is it right now, or is it off into the future? Well, you know, what I think is interesting is with technology shifting so much, you know, anybody who thinks they have a real crystal ball on this is probably um, uh, not really seeing the future because I, I think they believe that something like, you know, more than half of the jobs that people will be holding in 10 years aren't even invented yet. I mean, you, you look at the rise of, for example, the data scientist. Yes. Which is not a computer science person. It's really, you know, a storyteller and a person who can, you know, bring together unique data. So I think what's going to really be interesting is what are the new jobs that we haven't even thought of yet and what skills are those going to require? Thank you, you very know, much. I love that. I love that, Carrie, because when you said that a data scientist is really a storyteller, I don't know if I've heard it put that way. Talk to me a little more. Uh, well, there's so much data out there. I'm sure you've you, you've heard, and it's coming from different systems. And so it's one thing to run reports, and it's another thing to be, uh, you know, Bonnie, a little bit like a journalist in terms of being mm -hmm. curious. And uh, because otherwise it's just information. It's not, it's data, it's information. It's not really a decision tool. So 
being able to say, you know, what happens when you think about this and this and this together? What does that, what does that create? Intelligence, curiosity, imagination. It sounds to me, Carrie, like that would be the antidote for what Nikki just described as yeah. the generation that says, yeah, shiny penny looks good to me, but I'll be bored with it by tomorrow. If we give them, <laughs> we give them opportunities to really sink their teeth in and use their minds and say, I can find something in this. I can find some gold in this pile of you know what out in the barn. Yes, that's what we're talking about. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Anybody else have anything to say about the, the topic we started with Raven before I move in a different direction? Everybody I, good? I just like to add that yes. um, I think Carrie makes a great point about the crystal ball and one mm-hmm. of the great quotes that we had in the, in the report we did uh, go where there be dragons which means we have to go into uncharted waters mm-hmm. is that um, leadership development looks too much in the rear view mirror in other words we're trying to manage talent and leadership development uh, by what worked in the past and uh, there may be new things out there that we have to navigate and explore and do differently you have to look forward and backward at the same time. That's a challenge. David Learman, you just spoke, and I'm going to draw you in here for a talking point from some of the notes you sent me before the show. Very interesting. I'm going to take it in a very different direction. David says, CEO as rock star is dead. We need leaders with self-awareness and humility. This is a very provocative topic. So you want to drop any names here about the rock star CEO, and, and why do they – don't they have self-awareness and humility, or does that not go with the rock star persona? Let's start this well, thread with you, David. Right. Bonnie, this, this, these, are, these are quotes um, which um, we, we, we carried this out, uh, you know, in, in confidence, uh, but uh, all the quotes are in the report. And I think mm-hmm. um, we really got under the skin of the topic because people were saying oh, yeah. the CEO is rock star is dead. In other words, you know, the idea that someone in this very complex uncertain, ambiguous world that we live in now, that one person can be all-seeing and know the direction to go in, as, you know, many people have that image of a leader, uh, that's, that's really no longer kind of relevant. Um, and that we do need leaders who have a high degree of self-awareness, who uh, have humility, um, are uh, willing to take advice from many different people, many different generations, as we talked about, and another mm-hmm. great quote from, from one of our members was, which I think is really uh, interesting, uh, this person said, smart leaders won't do it alone. They will create great teams where group expertise matters more than individual savvy. Now, that, there's so much kind of richness, I think, in that statement. Absolutely. Now, did one of your survey participants make the statement, CEO is rock star is dead? Is that where it came yeah, from? Because yeah, it is in quotes. It, it is yeah, very, it, very it, interesting. It, it kind of gathered momentum, and, and we took that around our different uh, mm-hmm. councils. We wrote up a report. We then went and checked it out again, and, and um, some of these things really resonated uh, with people, irrespective, by the way, of the geography. So uh, what we found was that these kind of comments um, were supported by people in very different parts of the world, as I mentioned, in Europe, in North America, and in Asia. Mm-hmm. I do very much like what you say, David, here. I think that's a very good point, and I, I see, um, I, have, I have an understanding of top-down management versus bottom-up management, and I just think that um, leaders turn from directors into curators and put the right people on the table and make sure that decisions are found, and being that person that, that kind of steers it, but, but not that person that kind of directs it. Hmm. 
not yeah, like I, the teacher I, I with this ruler. I couldn't ruler. agree more, um, I, mm-hmm. David. I, I think we, we've seen a lot of our own research as well at Towers Watson that, that bolsters and backs up what you've just said, this move towards more collaborative and distributed leadership. Um, and I think certainly if you look at how S&P and the other rating agencies have gone the last couple of years of having the notion of key person risk being a very explicit risk factor in, in rating bonds, I think it absolutely is, is a great signal of um, the type of leadership that's most essential in driving value, not just for shareholders, but um, for all the different stakeholders. Thank you, yeah, Robin. I think one of the big things that's, that's, that's changed, you know, with the changing landscape, that, and one reason why it will never be the same again, is I think trust was shattered a lot. And I'm not just mm-hmm. talking about the financial sector and the big banks that had to be bailed out and so on. Right across the board, I think um, people were, you know, both who worked for companies and, 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 and people who were just kind of on the, on the receiving end of companies um, have felt that, you know, the trust has been shattered and that has to be rebuilt. And as we know, it's very difficult to rebuild kind of trust. But that's the kind of leader we need, I think, in 2020. Um, leaders who, who, who are self-aware, who are um, uh, have humility and are prepared to work hard to build that trust with their employees, but also um, with communities at large. And you to know, put meaning it, back into work. I think that's another really kind of critical point. Carrie, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I think something interesting to explore as well is, will there be more of a distinction between what it means to be a leader and what it means to be a manager? And will mm-hmm. we be able to get by with much less management? Um, I think Gary Hamill's writing some very interesting things about this, and there are companies that are exploring can we have essentially self-forming teams and manage through councils and so on, or standards just like the like who owns the internet, who owns the web? Um, but leadership, you know, painting a vision and moving forward, that we may need even more as we move towards bigger bands of control and self-forming groups and so on. Good points. Anybody else want to talk about? I, I want to move into a slightly different direction with something Nikki sent me before the show. Anybody want to chime in before well, I go? I, I would just like to. I would just like to yes. add that you know we, we did a recent research piece last year called DNA of Leaders, uh, mm-hmm. where we actually identified best-in-class companies for leadership and then did some in-depth interviews with them about 17 companies in total. And some interesting things came out of that. And one which I think speaks to what um, uh, Carrie was just saying there was a move from rules to guiding principles. Yeah? So people are loosening up the rules uh, and moving towards guiding principles and trusting people to get on with it. And I think that kind of addresses that point a little bit, that we need maybe less management and less rule enforcers. As long as people buy into the purpose of the business and the framework under which things will be done, I think we can actually loosen up and allow people uh, to follow guiding principles and interpret what that means in their local situation, which I think is a very Dave, positive thing. David, I think you're talking, this is Bonnie, I think you're talking about trust both ways. It's a two-sided tool or a, a tool-sided uh, op- opportunity or advantage is do the leaders, once they hire supposedly and hopefully the right people, do they trust them to do the work of the company, to see the vision, to buy into it, to build themselves into future leaders? And do the employees trust the leader who brought them in to do mm-hmm. that work? So you agree it's a, it's a two-way street. Trust has to come on both sides. Street, absolutely. 
Okay. Nikki, I want to go to your concept of top-down management. Let me just read this statement and then have you go for it and everybody chime in. You say top-down management requires state-of-the-art leadership skills such as recognition, rewarding, and fostering creativity and potential. Nikki, your observation. So this is a very interesting statement. Please start us. Well, I think that's up to what David has already said. Like, you know, bottom-up management was like, current or last generation, next generation is a top-down management of real leaders, so we have to redefine the real leader, what the skills of a leader's need are, so um, that people that really would like to work with and really like to go after and, and join and see that they, these people would inspire them and make the best or get the best out of them. Um, it goes into that direction. It doesn't go into the direction that we're going back to what top-down management was before bottom-up management was, was being sh- spread out as the new way of, of running a great company. Um, it goes more into the, what has been mentioned before, all the skills that, that tomorrow's leaders need to be, to be open, to be curious, to be um, working with people, um, to understanding personalities and, and making mm-hmm. them rich and strong. And, and, um, I've, I've point, heard Nikki. a great talk at that TED that, that, um, this year. Simon Sinek made a great point um, talking about um, running a company like running a family. And he said great leaders are like parents, and you wouldn't fire your kids just because they did something they shouldn't have done. So you would work with your kids, and you would make them strong. And he said, you know, the, the leaders of tomorrow, they hire slow, but they wouldn't fire. So like mm-hmm. with the parents and their children, real leaders would work um, with their people and m- turn – turn away from issues that they have and make them strong and make them understand a, 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 a common, common journey and, and, and direction that the whole company would go, like within a family where you have cultures and directions. Sounds More like benevolent way. leadership. Benev- I like that, Nikki. <laughs> Carrie, Carrie, what are you hearing what Nikki's saying? you agree? Well, I really like, I, I started kind of just like, taking this thought of hire slow and fire slow and thinking mm-hmm. that is a really interesting concept because, um, you know, too often we're making hiring decisions by gut and so on. And these are long-term decisions. I, I think what's going to be really interesting is how uh, all the data that's out there and the science that's available to us is going to let us make better decisions about who we bring into our organizations in the first place. So that we can have this core culture, um, core you know shared vision, and so on, going going forward. So I see a return to things like testing and pro- psychological profiles, and there's an upswing and an uptick in that in the hiring process to try and get more accurate about who's really part of who we need, as Jim Collins likes to say on the bus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on the bus. I like that. Ravin, we haven't heard from you in a while from Towers yeah, Watson. You, know, I, you agree? I, I guess I would, I guess I would gen- generally agree with, that, with Carrie's point. I think the, the big opportunity for many an organization is, you know, you may hire slow and fire slow, but you've got to develop fast. Um, and that means, you know, having the learning and development architecture, the processes and systems to ensure that our talent is continuing to develop and grow at the pace with which our business is changing and having flexible enough business models to ensure that we can, uh, we can pivot quickly as opportunities show up and, and make decisions about resourcing in a much more fluid way. Because I think the legacy has been um, hire and fire fast and develop slowly because, as we know, learning and development budgets are often the first things cut uh, at, at the point of a downturn. So 
I would agree that there does need to be a reorientation for, for many an organization. Thank you, Robin. David, at the conference board, thoughts? Yeah, well, I would just, I mean, I agree with that. I, I, I do see differences, by the way, because of the different uh, labor regulations in different parts of the world. So if you hire someone in uh, Belgium or Austria or Germany, for example, you have to be darn sure that they're the right person because it's actually very difficult to fire them uh, at the end. So, mm-hmm. you know, that makes a difference. Uh, but I was also thinking of the other side of the coin, uh, you know, because in hot uh, labor markets, uh, the issue isn't about, you know, wanting to fire quickly. It's about how to hang on to people who don't have a lot of loyalty towards you as a, as a company and want to move on because someone's paying a few more dollars somewhere else. Um, so it's how you build, you know, a family. And that's where I like the, the Nikki's comment about Simon Sinek and the family, because that's what we're actually seeing in some of the retention strategies in places like um, uh, India and China and elsewhere, where the family is very important. They're actually involving the family, uh, making sure they have dinners with the family, because uh, it's very important to go beyond just the employee. Very interesting development. Very interesting. And, and in fact, what you you're mentioned about the, the next job coming with a few more dollars, that could be the shiny penny Nikki mentioned before, is how do people keep what they're doing, stay where they are, and what's going to lure them away, or, or what will their eye be following next? Thank you. Good discussion. Carrie Williard, I want to go to one of the points you sent me before the show. I'm going to read it, and then I think is a very interesting uh, process here. You say one million professors have been evaluated on rateyourprofessor.com and college students use those ratings to select which classes they should take. And here's your your prophecy. It won't be long before the job of being a manager is also open to public rating. So talk about leadership. Public rating of our managers, will we do it anonymously, Carrie? What do you see? Well, I uh, I think there's two ways in which we'll do it, anonymously online outside the company, which is already happening with Glassdoor um, and other sites like it. It used to be the Glassdoor, you just saw the CEO being rated, but now it's moving down into division presidents and so on. So I, I, I think it's going to be a really interesting day when a manager goes home and their teenage kid has looked up um, and found you know, what people are saying about, about uh, you know, their mom or dad as a manager online. Um, so, uh, so I think that's going to be a really interesting thing. But I, I also think there's a, a little bit more of a movement towards the internal 360s, having those be more of an open discussion and public where you are identified and people are able to comment and so on inside the company. So... Accountability, David. Yeah. What are your thoughts and on transparency. this? Transparency. Oh, transparency, David Learman. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's really interesting. I agree with uh, some of those thrusts. Uh, I ran some seminars recently uh, with a guy called Eric Mosley, who's written a book called The Crowdsourced Performance Review, and that was an issue that kind of really um, uh, polarized opinion, you know, amongst the HR executives that uh, that I talked to uh, about it. Um, some people thought that kind of using technology to crowdsource, you know, views on uh, managers and leaders and so on was something they didn't want to get into. And others said, well, that's the way it's going, so let's just play with it. And we'll find out new information in addition to our more traditional methods of uh, performance review. Bonnie, it's Robin, if, if I may. Yes, Robin, um, please. I, I think it, it takes a lot of um, – 
emotional maturity on the part of an organization to be able to actually do that. I, I certainly see it, many organizations that we work with, experimenting with um, certainly 360s, to Kerry's point, uh, have become much more common. Uh, they are still sort of managed very closely, and, and feedback is uh, still very confidential. But we are seeing more and more organizations as they pursue more of a culture of development um, use uh, their performance management processes, open them up to broader feedback, be it from colleagues, be it from uh, even customers in some instances. So I do think you're, you're starting to see some of that. Um, but I have observed it does take a lot of maturity on the part of the organization and uh, uh, because it does have some very significant cultural consequences. Certainly does. Uh, and the point about going home and having your teenager say, look what people are saying about you, mom or dad. That could be a very interesting talk about the family having dinner together. Oh, yeah, I guess what we're talking about over meatloaf tonight. Nikki, any thoughts on this rating, possibly rating system of leadership? Yes, I think, I mean, rating and evaluation is something that's also very very present in, in huge companies. And our friends, they tell me that they're going to from one evaluation to the next one. And, and for them, it's a huge pressure. It's even more pressure than achieving a, a, a task. But um, nevertheless, I believe that we're, we're, we're approaching something like a new global currency, and that could be called reputation capital. So money will not be the number one reason of going into taking a job or making some transaction, but it will be more, will be more the liability and the credibility of the parties involved. So... Um, I, 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 can under, I, can, I do think that this doesn't work for Airbnb and eBay and all that stuff or um, um, other, other merchants where you use ratings as a decision if you go into business with somebody. But it will also be like um, companies that, that have ratings or give ratings or people or, or managers or leaders. Um, so I guess it's going to be stronger and stronger um, having a look at the, at, the, at the rating and reputation. And it will be open and transparent. Anybody else want to go on this before I go to break? We're going to take a break in just about 30 seconds. David, are you good with this? And Robin, Carrie? You know, um, I, th I think it's interesting to look at what W.L. Gore did, which was the board put a slate of candidates up in front of the employees and said, who do you want to follow as CEO? Mm. And the CEO was elected. Um, that's about as public a rating as you can get, I think. Mm. I would think so. David, did I hear you in the background? Yeah, no, I was just agreeing. I, I think we will be more uh, transparent. And the other thing I hear um, is that people are, gen you know, pretty well dissatisfied with traditional means of performance review. Uh, it, it's not a great process in many companies. That's another topic for HR Trends with Game Changers. Guess what? You've all earned a break. It's 47 after. We have to close the show at 58, so we have just enough time for you all to gather this elusive, ethereal crystal ball. I know you don't believe in it, but we're going to look ahead five or six years to 2020 and see what you think this conversation would be like if we met again on, what's the date today? April 29th, 2019 or 2020. What would we be talking about in terms of the future of leadership, in terms of leading in the brave 
New World. I'm going to give Ravine J. Suthasen and David Learman, Nikki Ernst, and Carrie Williard about one minute to take a deep breath and go find that crystal ball. I know you've got it somewhere in the attic, in the back of the car, in the trunk of the boat, wherever you have it. Go find it and bring back and tell me if you see blue skies ahead. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. We'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that dial, that mouse, that app. Brad out. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality, your HR department is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.com. D.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. We're going to look into the future, five or six years, or whatever excites and delights my panelists in terms of our topic today, the 2020 leader. 2020 could be a year. It could also be what we call hindsight, leading in the brave new world. Let's kick off our predictions round with Ravan J. Suthasan at Towers Watson. Ravan, take your two minutes. Go. Great. Thanks, Bonnie. So Mm -hmm. as as I reflect on some of the skills that we've talked about for for emerging leaders and some of the changes, the structural changes in the economy, I think business leaders are going to increasingly have to rethink and restructure how they think about getting work done and continually rethink the sources of that work because more and more of that work is going to be done outside of the boundaries of the traditional organization by traditional, quote-unquote, employees. I think the organization of the future is going to have a much more fluid, sustainable balance of being able to continually shift work between employees, contractors, outsourcers, um, different models of production like collaborative production, um, different partner entities, and in a way that something we talked about in the 90s will actually start to come to fruition, which is the truly networked organization so that leaders can, in fact, continually strike the balance between strategic capability, cost, and risk. And I think it's going to place some demands on leaders that uh, are unprecedented and will call for some agility um, and and capabilities uh, that we haven't seen in the past. Do you think we could use the one of my favorite French phrases, plus ça change, plus ça la même chose, the more things change, the more they stay the same? You mentioned something from the 90s coming back into fashion. So are we going to see a, a recycling of, of a leadership model? 
<laughs> I think we we I think we took some tentative steps towards that notion of the networked organization, Barney. But mm-hmm. um, the reasons for it not coming about, I think, have changed dramatically. I think the level of risk we operate with in the global economy, our desire to be much more flexible, lean, and nimble, are the things that will cause us to be that much more collaborative. And one more question, Ravan, before we turn to David, who I know is preparing his predictions as we speak. A question, Ravan, is it possible that some of these outsourced talent people who are not part of the organization, the consultants, for example, or the part-timers, could they be the source of great leadership that needs to be recognized and tapped going forward? Any thoughts on that quickly? I, I think you're absolutely right. I think flexibility and being able to sort of step outside of the, t- uh, the sort of traditional boundaries we've had of where talent comes from and where it goes um, is going to be essential. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. David Learman at the conference board. About 90 seconds. Give me your predictions, please. Go. Well, Bonnie, I'm pretty optimistic. I think by 2020 we will have many more leaders uh, with a sense of purpose, uh, who are building trust and who are inspiring people. I think we'll see successful companies uh, that are, have proven capability that they've developed in being resilient uh, and being more collaborative. Uh, I will see them uh, aware, more aware of their social responsibilities and taking the long-term view uh, and more thoughtful about the leaders they want and how to develop and, and support them. And the reason I'm feeling optimistic and confident mm-hmm. in that crystal ball statement is because of the research we did recently where we independently uh, got a list of uh, companies that were best in class for leadership and then talked to them about what they were doing. And the kind of things that they were doing were, I think, going to play to those things that I've mentioned, like developing a global mindset, um, freedom within a framework, this point I mentioned already about moving from a situation of many, many rules to a few guiding principles. And also, very interestingly, for talent professionals, really simplifying uh, and streamlining their leadership development. Uh, For many years, I worked with uh, Unilever, actually, and spent a lot of time developing competency systems globally and and all the rest of it. And very complex they were, too. What do I now find? I find that great companies like Unilever and Shell and others um, have actually thrown that out, and they're actually going to a much a shorter list of competencies, uh, really coming back to the key things that matter, uh, building that kind of capability and helping people to be more um, resilient um, and reaching out to others in this network society. Thank you, David. One quick question. And, Nikki, I hope you're getting ready to be teed up here. I'm going to give you 90 seconds. David, go where there be dragons. Will there still be dragons there in five or six years? Yes or there no? Will, there will still be uncharted waters to explore. You know, we've, Thank you, you know we ain't done yet. We've got some. We ain't done yet. Absolutely. Frontier. It's going to be Africa. You know, that's going to need some different uh, capabilities and learning and experience if we're going to okay. manage successfully in that market. Thank you, David Learman. Nikki Ernst, you're up. 90 seconds. Go. Predictions. Well, being that close to Ted creates some realistic idealism view on things. Um, so I believe also it's going to be good. <laughs> um, where we have CEOs as celebrities today, I think we're going to see more of unknown, unheard, and unexpected people coming on the mm. stage. And we will get rid of hidden agendas and... Um, we will see more of open and honesty and transparency and of real skills instead of fanciness and show-off stage behavior. 
Thank you, Nikki. That's brief and to the point, and you packed a lot of a wallop there. I appreciate that. Good summary. Carrie Williard, I can give you, oh, about uh, 90 seconds as well. Go ahead. What are your predictions, Carrie? Well, you know, I, I have uh, recently attended a conference with a speaker from Singularity University, and, you know, that's, of course, when when computing power passes that of the power of a single person, and that will be in the 2020 to 2023 range. And then, you know, another 20 years after that, when the, it surpasses the power of all humans combined. And, you know, what's that going to mean in terms of how we access it? And that's why I think things like Google Glass, walking around on the street and seeing people working with technology as part of their human existence, the line between technology and humanity becomes so faint as to not be noticed uh, so that, uh, you know, I'm looking at a picture of you in my Google glasses. We're talking and we're seeing one another without actually being on a laptop, but just in our glasses mm-hmm. or in our contacts um, and the way we, we, we interface with the rest of the world. I think that talk. they talk about that as the, the time when man becomes immortal because um, all our memories can be downloaded and played back forever. I don't know if I want to remember all of them, but I think you're talking about great transparency with the glasses. I like that. Thank you so much, Carrie. Time for me to get my predictions. I wrote them down. They're easy. Tomorrow is Wednesday. You know what that means. It's Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP 8 a.m. Pacific. Thursday, Future of Business with Game Changers, 7 a.m. Pacific. It's worth getting up early for. And Monday, we start all over again with Financial Excellence with Game Changers, 10 a.m. Pacific. And next Tuesday, we'll be right back here at 9 a.m. Pacific with HR Trends with Game Game changers. Thank you to my guests, Raven from Towers Watson, David from the Conference Board, Nikki from TEDx and other places unknown, and Carrie Williard from SAP. Thank you also to our series sponsor, Carolyn Cahoot at SAP, Mike Montalban, co-producer of this series. Thank you for helping so much and for the great tweets. If you all want to see what Mike's been tweeting, capturing our guest words of wisdom, go to hashtag SAP Radio and you'll see everything Mike has captured for immortality. Thank you to Brad and Randy at the Business Channel and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Signing off for now. I'll see you tomorrow right here on the Business Channel on Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.